on today's episode of Android's Dungeon. Reprints. Things you can't get. How do you do it? Why can't you get them? And we catch up on D&D. What has the party been up to on their adventures in the land of giants? Stay tuned. Welcome to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario. Blah, blah, blah. You can catch us online in various forums. Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm, or just search your favorite podcast application and for Android's Dungeon. Do not be befooled. Be befooled by pretenders. Uh, yeah. If you, some... if you don't hear our sweet, sultry voice, <laughs> then you know you're in the wrong place. <laughs> if you find yourself uh, slightly less aroused and normal, then you're listening to the, the wrong Androids Dungeon. Wrong. Wrong. I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Joel, what have you been playing recently? Um, casting my mind back a bit uh, this weekend. No, not this weekend. Earlier this week, ended up with sort of this random impromptu get together at our place Part- we don't call it a party but it, it kind of exploded on you <laughs> not a party if it ends at 10 <laughs> <laughs> is that when everything folded yeah that's reasonable um but yeah we had a sort of just a dinner that turned into uh two dinners coalescing convalescing in our place and uh bam we had nine people so we decided to try nine player avalon which is pretty rare a playing avalon these days yeah. and be having nine people to what is avalon so what do you think how did it go i mean let's be honest it didn't go very well but i you know i had a good time it just wasn't it wasn't especially fun but i think it did what it was supposed to in the sense of like the game itself i wasn't in enthra- uh, like enthralled by but the, it was the experience <laughs> overall and it was interesting yeah. because how many new people were playing avalon mark never played it chris never played it and jess jess yeah and it was kind of intriguing because I felt like Chris was getting a little, he was getting a little upset when people were accusing him of uh, being bad. And I thought, <laughs> is he serious or is he? <laughs> I'm not sure. And, and Mark, on the other hand, was the exact opposite where he's like <laughs> giving up information. Wait, you just look at him. <laughs> Clearly they haven't played these kind of games. Uh, well, Jess had played Secret, Secret Hitler before, yeah. which, you know, is uh, sort of in that vein. So should we, I think we, we talked about Avalon a little bit ago at, on the Monty Python episode, or the Holy Grail episode, because oh, it yeah. was kind of like, because uh, it is the Arthurian uh, sort of theme game. And I put it up there as number one, because frankly, it's, it's that's all it is. Yeah. But you've got Arthur, you've got Merlin, you've got them all. You're looking for the Grail. And it's probably the most accessible of the bunch. But it was... It was interesting to see how different how people approach those types of games, and you really like who else was sitting there? It was it Alex. Alex didn't say a word the entire time, and yeah. that that was a good example of someone that I think I don't know whether it was just he was playing it close to his chest, or he just was kind of like, what, should I talk you? Yeah. Should I? Or I always find I have a tell in those games where um, if I'm a good guy, I'll be very quiet <laughs> and I'll try to <laughs> suss people out, <laughs> and if I'm a bad guy, I'll very actively 
promote the good side. <laughs> and it just I can't resist it. Yes. Well, what, what uh, threw me off about Chris was that when when he kept going after me and I on the mission that was I passed and yeah, it just kind of looked like he was trying to find a, a scapegoat. Yeah, that's it. It looked like he was. <laughs> it just it felt like because I've seen this so many times before where it's cl- the guy who <laughs> clearly the villain is saying no, you're the villain. <laughs> yeah, it's very easy to un- misunderstand yeah. new players because you, you don't really know their motivations. Yeah. And this is why I think I prefer much more than Secret Hitler, which I think we've talked about a little bit on the show before, but just in case people don't know, Secret Hitler was a game that was kickstarted by the, I think it was put out by the Cards Against Humanity people. And right away, you've already got this giant market of people that enjoy Cards Against Humanity for whatever reason, a far following. be it from me, a following. Yeah. And the the game is a trader game, which is a genre unto itself of yeah. trying to suss out the bad guys from the good guys where everyone's... Yeah, which is fit, interesting. Fits perfectly into parties. Yeah, exactly. And But I think the issue with Secret Hitler is, is more of a... They've added unnecessary complications to it, where, um, A, it's fiddlier, because you've got these motions that have to be passed, and right away, you've added a, an extra layer of complexity versus mm. the... So you're still doing everything that you would be doing in Avalon. Like, do you approve of this this cabinet, I think? And do you... Like, basically, who do you want to go on this mission? You, except you have to throw it, instead of just pass-fail... The pass fail is 100% player determined versus the secret Hitler method of your handed legislation that's titled fascist right, or there's liberal. There's an element of chance. There's an element of chance. So if you're a bad guy, you could theoretically be handed three liberals. And even if you wanted to fail this motion or uh, pass a bad one, you're stuck passing the the good one. And if yep. conversely, if you were a good guy, you're stuck passing a pas- uh, stuck passing stuck passing, passing a fascist motion just because of the luck of the draw. Yeah. And, and just people, a quick rollback here. Basically, the object of the game, if you're a liberal, you want liberal articles to be published so that the the state, I suppose, uh, decides it wants to be a liberal state. Whereas the opposite is, if you're a fascist, you want fascists to be and published. I'd say the one thing I do like, though, is that as... And it, again, it's more complexity, but I think it's it's passive complexity and that it just it enhances the experience overall is that as you keep going up the ladder of fascist motions that get passed, things get meaner. Yeah. And as soon as I think two get passed, or it's just one even, you're allowed to, once a turn, I think, just execute someone. And even though it's fun on the surface, if you think about it for a second, it's like, oh, wait, you're eliminating a player from a game that... <laughs> so <laughs> I guess it's supposed to be so quick and fun that you don't care if you're shot. Yeah. But it also, if you're a liberal and you're the one that gets the chance... Uh, great, you get a random chance to try to kill somebody who looks suspicious. Looks if you're suspicious. A fascist yeah. or Hitler, and you get that. That's awesome because you know, you know who exactly. the good guys are yeah. because there's that thing at the beginning where you find. Oh, do you get to fascists? The fascists know who the fascists are. They don't know who Hitler is. I think. Right, and then Hitler, yeah, is gets to know all. Yeah, so he's kind of like the reverse Merlin in a sense. <laughs> and but if you if you, the good guys shoot Hitler, then they win the game right away. So. Yep. It, it's look. It's it's perfectly fine. It's just I would if you if you put a gun to my head huh, and said which one would you rather play? Like it would be I'd take Avalon any day because I think it just yeah. plays faster and less we overhead. Give credit where it's due. The the game kind of originated with Resistance, so there was the Resistance, uh, which was a very simple game, and mm-hmm. then the Avalon was produced by the same people and just added more characters, more options, but still included the same game. And different theme, obviously. And then Secret Hitler kind of was a spin-off. Yeah, exactly. Very, very successful. Um, a friend of ours, he backed two copies of it, and I think he sold the second Kickstarter copy to some guy in Quebec or Montreal or Ottawa yeah. or some someone just a very surprising distance, I thought, and made a fortune made on it. Made a this. lot of money. Yeah. Made a lot of money on it, which it's I've a never... a wheeler and dealer. Yeah. 
which I've never thought about doing is uh, b- backing two copies, but it seems so risky because half the stuff I back, it's like, does anyone <laughs> really want this? I don't even know if I, yeah, I want it. But. Man, if I had backed Scythe, <laughs> I would have five copies. <laughs> Back Gloomhaven, if you could have. Oh, man. They're still having supply issues on Gloomhaven. It's, they're coming, but it's just, it's one of these things where it's being drip fed into these stores and there's always such a big demand wow. for them. So Gloomhaven, if you, if you were a retailer and you bought a copy, <clears throat> guaranteed you're happy. Oh yeah, right. You sold it for a decent. Chunk well, what did of cash. didn't, didn't J and J's have something like a, a pallet? Yeah, and they thought that would be good, and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody comes in Everyone's on Wednesday, calling, and, yeah. oh, sorry, they're all they're all booked up. We'll Absolutely crazy. The list again, and I think does the boardroom still have their copy, or they must have sold no, it? It's cleared right out. Yeah, yeah. So, which is funny because as a retailer, board games I think are a very difficult thing to anticipate, except for a few. A few like guarantees of games you're going to be flipping. I think Codenames is up there because it's oh, yeah. achieved popularity. Like, and it's inexpensive and, and small. And it's popular with non-gamers. Exactly. Are you for something like Gloomhaven, which is uh, I think how how heavy is it? Like something like twenty six pounds, yeah. uh, or maybe that's like an absurd number. But bottom line, giant box, so it's sucking up giant a lot of space. The price tag is one hundred and forty dollars, I think, uh, retail MSRP. Maybe more, maybe less. I'm not totally sure. But it's up there. It's not like you walk in, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I think so. And it's, it looks like a hardcore game. It's yeah. Well, if you're a mom at Christmas time <laughs> and you're coming in and you've got three kids, what's your budget for a kid? <laughs> One Gloomhaven. <laughs> you know that Gloomhaven actually has on the side of the box 30 minutes per player? What? Why do they even bother telling me the time? That's a lie. <laughs> that is 100% a Give lie. Give a break. Maybe on some of the early missions, but like <laughs> some of those later ones, I don't think so. TI three had a pretty good uh, run. It was like six play- six hours base, and then add an hour per player or something. Like that. I think that's fair. And it, it, like most games, the more you know about it, the faster it's going to go, and the smoother yeah. it'll be. But any, I'd say, <laughs> any moment where you're sitting there flipping for the rule book, yeah. Okay, so your thirty minutes are up. <laughs> yeah, brutal, brutal. Uh, so sorry. So we played Avalon. We also got an, an Azul game, and I want to point this out oh, for yeah, a second that was because. Good. Jack has won his official second game of Azul. I have to brag about it because I never win this game, and I need it. I needed it. Came out of nowhere too because I finished the game. Yeah, and I thought I had done a really good run, and then I look over and you get like, did you have three vertical lines? Two. I was all. I was all. I was close to three. Fantastic. It's. I feel like the the completing a tile is a grail, and I should stop trying to do it. I think it's it's. It should be considered a bonus in that you shouldn't strive to do oh, it. Oh, look at that. Exactly. Yeah. It's, so the I think if you can finish off, get a five-row going easy, yeah. and then if you can kind of bounce around, but you have to build to it, and that's yeah. the, the tough part. Well, the thing I liked about it is it creates these diagonals where all of a sudden you fill those in, you score big points. So. And do you ever play cribbage? Yeah. So, Tons of cribbage. <laughs> yeah. So it's, to me, I think the real trick to Azul is that you can get away with, like, getting a lot of points at the end, but it's, you want to be pegging. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> you want to peg all the way through. You yeah. want to, so you, what I'm saying is that, so if people don't know, in Azul, there's, there's two types of scoring. There's the end game scoring where you add up all the stuff you've accomplished throughout the game. And then there's the intermediate scoring at the end of every round, which is where you add up the rows and columns of all your tiles and only the fresh ones, ones. That drop in yeah. yeah yeah so you should theoretically be just adding and if you do it properly you can be making tons and tons of points because you've been building up these columns mm. and it's almost like i i think a real pretty good strategy would be focusing on just like you want to try to create this the, the sides so you can have the longest uh, or you just want to be trying to do create a nice big l or <laughs> cross say, or something right? sometimes i think you want to you want to get into the third or fourth column 
and expand there because just because most people look at that first column and everybody fights for the first column, so yeah. they're trying to get those same tiles. And yeah, good point. Your target is a different set of tiles, so there's some meta stuff. But I, we none of us really know. No, what I, what I find is that everything kind of works out. Yeah, <laughs> no matter what you try. It's, I got terrified though the one game that I saw like five blue tiles floating around at the end, and I thought, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> someone's gonna be mean and take a tile they don't need or like only hurts them once, and I'm gonna get stuck with five. It's gonna yeah. cost. Yeah, there were points. a couple times where I, I looked at what was out there and I thought, oh no, I'm going to get stuck with a bunch and I don't have any space for anything yeah. anymore. But then, I don't know, with three players, I didn't, it's it, not, it didn't, wasn't as bad. didn't end up coming back to me. So it's. I think we both kind of got lucky. There were a couple times I thought someone's going to get screwed and it just yeah. never happened. There were a couple of... And let's just point out real quick that Kayla, ah, 0-3 in three, and three player. Not her Terrible. jam. Not her jam. <laughs> I don't... F- I'll I'll take my my one win in three player. That's fine, one and two I guess. Um, so I've been I've ta- been talking to Joel a little bit about this, and um, something I've been playing a bit is through the ages. Nice and and on the on the, on board, the computer right? ah. because so Joel got me through the ages for my birthday, and I played it with Kayla two player. I think the board game would be very difficult to play with more than maybe three players. Four players is probably asking for like a four-hour experience when you're just kind of like, oh, man, I don't know about this. <laughs> um, but it is what's cool about Through the Ages, in case we haven't talked about it, is that it's a civilization game from Vlada Shavadl, and it's but it's all card-based for the most part. And you have there's, a, there's tons of cube pushing, but everything is driven by these cards. So everyone starts off with a... A player board, and you have a couple of things going on, but you're all at the same level of technology. Everyone has some warriors. Everyone has a mine, a farm. Um, they nobody has a temple, but they all you have like a, a an alchemist hut or something that's generating one science a turn, and you have a government, and your government gives you the actions, which are these gray cubes, and military actions, which are red cubes, and what they do is you have this market row available to you on the top, and you fill it up with cards. And some of them are yellow cards, which are one-time bonuses that you can only use on the turn after you get them. So you can't buy them and then use them. So you have to anticipate what you're going to be doing next time. And there are leaders on there, which are green cards. And those are guys that provide bonuses, but they die off after a certain age is over or if something really bad happens to you. And you'd craft your strategy around these guys. But then there's also technologies that appear. There are wonders of the world that appear. And again, it does market row in a good way because you can see cards coming a mile away and they're tiered. So if you want to take a card from the very far side of the board, you can do that, but it's going to cost you three government actions or civil actions. Or you can take one from the middle, which is two, or you can take one that's immediately accessible for one action. So you can get a lot, you can get a few, or you can get one, basically. it depends on how badly badly do you want it, right? And the game has so much going on for it, and all the resources are considered to be blue cubes. All your food are blue cubes. So whenever you generate stuff from your farms, you put a blue cube on the farm. Whenever you generate rocks from your mine, you put a blue cube onto there. And as you take more and more blue cubes, you clear off spaces, and eventually you have corruption because you have too many resources out there. So people are kind of looking at each other and go, I'll take one or two. So it costs you at the end of your turn if you're not using them. Same for food, sort of, where if you have high enough population, which is when you're pulling in more of these yellow cubes to put onto places that generate food and work, it starts to cost you more and more to get them out because you have a giant population and you need to feed them. And you, then you have to worry about the fact that your neighbors are Can looking you just at let you. them starve, Jack? You cannot let them starve, <sighs> Joel, uh, because they get unhappy. Can and unhappy, them? 
Well, sort of. You can perhaps... Uh, you could let them die in wars, I guess, but that's not the smartest choice. You should never be losing people okay. in this game. It's a never a good thing. Um, but there's also the fact that you've got these... There's this great event deck system that it, that's got set up. So everyone gets... At the end of the, uh, every round, based on your uh, unused military actions, you're given cards, which is a neat balance because if you want to start puffing up your military or doing things, you don't get to draw at the end of your turn. So you draw these cards, and they're considered political cards. At the very start of your turn, you're allowed to play a political card. What you do is you slide it into a deck, and then you draw the top of another deck. And the first decks are randomized and predetermined, not predetermined, but they're all pretty nice. Except for a couple, I think there's only one negative. No, they're, they're all nice. And then you draw from there and something good happens to everyone. As soon as you finish that deck, you start going into the player-generated deck. Uh. And you know what you've put in there. I don't know what you put in there. And you start to get worried about the sort of stuff that's going to come so up. you know what's coming. You know what's coming. But you've also got aggression cards, which you can play at the start of your turn, where it's a basic check of military strength. So that's another thing the game has going on, where you've got... This military track, which is one of the most important and probably the most difficult parts of the game to figure out because um, if you start to lag behind, people will start to pick on you. And what happens is if you play an aggression and they get worse and worse as the game goes on, and it takes a military action, sometimes two, and it'll say, oh, um, I am going to enslave Joel. And oh, no. you look and go, oh, oh, what's the, what's the military difference? Okay, so Jack's sitting at six and I'm at three. So you're given an opportunity to defend. And you can discard political cards, hmm. uh, and some of them are, defi- are designed around uh, defending against this sort of stuff or colonizing, which is another part of the game. Hmm. And it's just this, and you can even start a war with somebody, which gives them, which is a giant aggression in that if you win, you get to take a lot of stuff from them, but it gives them an entire turn to anticipate your uh, actions. Ooh. So you can respond to them and try to militarize yourself. And uh, best defend yes, or defeat them. There's technological advances. As oh well. my god! It's it, there's so much stuff, <laughs> and it's it's such a it's a heavy game. So how long does it take you to finish a computer round? It depends. So the computer games you can play if you're just doing a uh, a game with two players, two computer players, you can probably grind out in half an hour, forty five minutes, because the computer just does its turn like that. You're going to be a little bit, a little bit slower because you're trying to think about what you're doing. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. If you're playing with three computer players, it takes a bit longer. Four computer players, taking a bit longer again. If you were doing two human players sitting down, I think it would be a lot quicker still, but it would well, still be is, slow. This is turn-based. So it's turn-based. and leave it. And That's it. You could be hot-seating it if you wanted to as well. So you could have a game going and just like, okay, like back when you used to play computer games with your friends, like, okay, my turn. Then you sit down and you do your move. And it's like, all right, my turn. You sit down and do your thing, <laughs> which is kind of cute. But yeah. It's, but it's, it was my only logistical issues it's based on a tablet version uh, or a mobile version of the game and it doesn't feel very optimized to me in that there it seems to make machines chug or it's a ram hog or something along those lines that if you have maybe a weaker machine then i think you might be a little unhappy with maybe the results it's funny to think of a, of a board game where you're just flipping cards it's uh, exhaustive it's I don't know what's going on, but it, it's yeah. very pretty. It's a great port. The tutorial's great. Um, and so you enjoy playing it online a lot more than you played it, enjoyed playing physically. Well, it's because you don't have to interact with people, right? It's not even the the people side. <laughs> like my misanthropy doesn't come through as hard in that. <laughs> but with, it's more just the game is so fiddly that and this isn't me. I like I like fiddliness. I just don't like screwing something up because I forgot for a second of an aspect of the fiddliness. And I feel like the game is very 
there are a lot of opportunities for you to screw something up that way. And I don't like that because as a game is heavy, it'd be like an advanced sieve, like forgetting that, oh, I wasn't allowed to expand to here. Oh, I wasn't allowed right. to get a, this technology. It, it, yeah. it can be breaking in a sense. I found that, yeah, the video, because the, any game out there, like a heavy game or a, a really popular game, they've created a, a, an app version. Yeah. And uh, it's I've always found that it was super helpful for becoming an expert on the rules because you just can't break them. Well, exactly. And that's the, I'd say the only, th- I know how to play through the ages pretty well. I'm not good at it. The computers are brutal. I don't know if it's just their AI is really good or mine is poor, but it's, there's, I'm, I'm learning. But you start to copy what they do and you figure out their strategy. Sort of. It, it's just, every now and then you see them do something. It's like, why did you do that? Oh, never mind. Now I know. And it's like, I'll try to do that next time. It doesn't work for me because they've done something completely different. And just like, oh, Lord. So just a bit of background on Through the Ages. It's one of these sort of, there's sort of like a series of, respected games i'd say this is sort of like a heavy game and i think there's a certain level of criteria once it reach for it to reach tournament level right i would say there's probably an element of heaviness so it doesn't have to be physically heavy but it can't be simple (laughs) and it can't be something like king of tokyo there can't be enough randomness for you to just go into a tournament and lose because of chance yeah there has to be a heavy amount of strategy and then the second i think really important element for tournament games is balance it has Mm. to be balanced and that's why there's the new through the ages because the first edition of the game which you can still see floating around i think wars were even more broken in in that one and Mm. i think the napoleon uh, leader was even more broken and in this one uh napoleon's pretty good i think he gives you plus two or plus one for each different type of military unit you have so if you've diversified all of a sudden your troops are worth crazy amounts I'm not sure what it used to be in the other one, but I'm a big fan of Genghis Khan because he's one of the earlier leaders. And what happens is that, so there's, again, more complexity. All your military units are split in different types. So you have infantry, uh, you have artillery, and you have um, cavalry. Yeah. And you have different military tactics, which you can play as military actions, which improve your military score. So uh, the early ones are like fighting group. And it just means if you have two uh, uh, infantrymen out now they're worth plus one more uh, but then you start getting stuff as time goes on suddenly horses show up so then mm-hmm. there's oh if you've got two infantry and two horses now you've got like a medieval army so they're better at one point and then worse at another um, they they don't get worse per se it's just the cards get better and you need to evolve hmm. so you need to improve your tactics and you don't get artillery until certain ages and then the new military tactics card required of artillery if you want to use these so you're still stuck playing you're i'm fighting you with my horses and you've got a tank <laughs> oh it sounds like civ it sounds like civ so but there's there's just this neat sort of balancing act of again it's it's just such a you're when you when you read the Galaxy Trucker rule book, one of the things he does, which is cute, is his rule books are very whimsical and uh, adorable. But for everything that is you can have on the ship, he says you should have as many of these as possible. And that's the joke: is that everything is good. You want to have everything that <laughs> everything is the best. Thing. Everything is the best. It's like for engines, you should have as many engines yeah. as possible. You should have as many batteries as possible. And many. So the joke is that obviously, because you can't blah blah blah. You can't possibly do that. So in this one, you want to have everything, yeah. but it's like you science. You in order to have your science. You gotta have the um, you gotta have the rocks to 
or you got to have the raw materials to actually get the uh, build your upgraded labs. But in order to populate the upgraded labs, you need to have the people to put them in there. In order to have the people, you need to have the food. And how do you get the food? You have the rocks to build more farms. Ah! And then you have to buy in the cards, and you're getting aggressed from other sides, and you're trying to upgrade your government. You can have upgraded governments, Joel. You can <laughs> you start off as despotism, and then so you move up to other things. It sounds like you can't really pursue a, a mono. Strategy. You cannot do mono strategy. Yeah. You can definitely bully people with military might if you get enough of an edge, but you can't just ignore something or else you'll just find yourself just sinking <laughs> under the water as your opponents who diversified. So I know that um, this is one of the games that is going to be played in the World Game Championships or whatever. Fascinating. Uh, through the Ages, uh, Terra, Mystica. Terra Mystica, Concordia, which is, I think, probably one of the most obvious choices. Uh-huh. And what is it about these games? Because I remember we were talking about Scythe. When Scythe first came out, they did a big tournament. And it was critiqued because I think it's a seven-player game. And in every seven-player game, the first pick was Crimea. Yeah. Or, sorry, 56% of the time, the first yeah, yeah, pick yeah, was Crimea. Yeah, that's right. So if, you know, obviously <clears throat> it's it's not balanced, then maybe that's why it doesn't work in a tournament. So do you think Through the Ages fits into these categories as far as the... Because I didn't know there were there's so there's starting race benefits. No, no. Leader so benefits? every everyone's the same, but okay. there is so there is an element of obviously luck because all the cards are shuffled at the beginning. So different things are going to trigger different times, and the amount of the market's going to look different almost mm-hmm. every time you play. So you're always going to be picking. Maybe a different wonder is going to show up. Maybe a different leader is going to show up on your turn. Maybe, but it's it's sufficient enough that you can always. It's not like you're being gimped at the start. Like, it's you got the officially bad one. It's just you pick something, you got to work with it. Right. If you try to fight against it, then you're going to... like uh, corporations and... Yeah, exactly. Terraforming, with ter- Mars. Terraforming Mars. It's like, if oh, you got the one that's good about mining asteroids? Mm, no, I'm going to go hard uh, biogenesis type thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. that's your fault. It's, but I think I'm more concerned about, like, is it two-player? Is it three player? Is it four player through the ages in this oh, tournament? Oh, tournaments, yeah. Because it's a wildly different game, I think, at those levels. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of politicking once you get to the three players. Because with two players, it's obvious. It's just I, I'm dealing with you and you're dealing with me. Now, do you get a score at the end? Uh, there's the computer game. There is a score because there are victory points in the game. But I think it would just be the, the score just like, I don't know. What's the difference between you and second place? That would be your final score. They call it dominance in the computer game. Okay. So, I don't know. So, you just want to be first. You just want to be first. There's yeah. no... And there's no... Uh, okay, so I got 110 points this time. I'll r- chalk that down and put it into my tournament score. Well, maybe. It's just... it could. It's too wild. I think the scores can be so different depending on what people are up to. Hmm. But anyway, through the ages, it's the... If you can try the computer game, it's inexpensive just to see if you like it. I would love to play the board game and get it out. It's just, it's, the, it's definitely one of those games, just like I think Twilight Struggle, because there's a computer game of it at this point, that it's like, that's a lot of shit. Yeah. Yeah, I would always advise either an app version or a game cafe before yeah. settling into something for but life. E- <laughs> but even through the ages at a game cafe, you gotta be. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to down see and it. buy a lot of drinks. Yeah. Um,. Good game, just definitely not for everyone. But it's yeah. it's. I love civilization games. You love civilization games, and it does it in a cute way that's card driven, which is yeah. totally unique. I think. Speaking of civ games, uh, next week we're we're planning uh, something special, eh? Yeah. So before we go to our musical break, uh, Joel, why don't you spill the beans on what's going on? 
Well, we cracked the box today, took a little look. This is a typical Saturday morning for me, or Sunday morning for me, you know, <laughs> going over to Jack's place to read some rules. <laughs> As if uh, us having a show about playing board games didn't peg us enough, we're just going to go read, read, read through book. some books. Actually, I love reading through rule books. It sounds ridiculous, but it's fantastic just to kind of like explore what a new designer or what a different designer has decided to do with a genre of a game that I know, you know, mm-hmm. and how they approach it and even how game books are written. Cause this new trend, which I think I talked about with, um, with star Wars rebellion. And now again with TI four, where they, they have one book, which is like, here's how you get started. And then there's Learn another book, which is like the appendix of like all the detailed rules. If you have any questions. Yeah. It's, it makes perfect sense. Why, why cram front load all that stuff that the average person's not going to need initially yeah, it's in the, in the one book. It also makes it hard to flip through when you do want to get to it. I read today that Fantasy Flight has, like, Twilight Imperium is their flagship. It's their number one game. Would you agree is with that? Is it really? It, I would say it's the one that I would most associate with them, for sure. It's, yeah. I, I think their Game of Thrones game is probably their... Oh. It's got to be their number one seller. <laughs> Numero, which is funny because they've re-implemented it uh, in Battle of Rokugan. That's apparently supposed to be way better, but... Oh, them. yeah, I do want to try that. Yeah, it's <sighs> <laughs> so many games. Yeah. So anyway, Twilight Imperium. Yeah, I think we've got the roster that we need as far as players. And I, uh, next Saturday, it looks like we'll have at least five, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully six. That's the max for this one, which is a little yeah. bit less than the third version. Is that right? Well, the third with the expansion went up to, um, or could you do eight right out of the gate? I think it was eight. But six is fine with me. I don't. Oh, no, no, I'm not upset. <laughs> I'm not like, oh. It's hard to find six other players. I mean, try playing um, Captain Sonar. Right? It's, and even we, who do we have? And so, I think the problem with Sonar with higher player accounts is that if it, it, it's usually impromptu, yeah. and it's kind of like, oh. And you can kind of see sort of life draining from people's eyes when you're trying to explain <laughs> how things open, work. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, it no, it's fun, thing. I promise. Yeah. There's one thing that you have to explain where you have to explain everybody their rules and not yeah. everybody has to hear each person's rules, but you have to. I mean, you, you need the, I think we talked about this before, you need peak sort of um, like herd immunity of sorts, except with herd <laughs> rules knowledge, where if there are a couple of people who don't understand, they can get the benefits of yeah, understanding yeah. from just the people. You don't so like six new players. Yeah, you don't have to sit there and like stand on a, a couch and, okay, so the engineer does this. And, and keeping and, people from talking as you're doing oh, man, it's like, <laughs> Okay, stop the party. We're going to play a game. Quiet. <laughs> Quiet, please. But we're looking forward to this TIA game. It's been... It, I've heard great things about this one. I've heard the... Um, even skeptics were saying this one is their, um, yeah, their it's favorite. Really, it's really cleaned up a lot. Cleaned up. The graphics are better. They've added all the expansion races, plus some extra ones. Uh, a couple of modules, I think, from the... It, they went through and they did what I like, where they... I, again, it's the fourth edition. Why does it take them four tries? But they went through and they picked up the stuff that they that people liked and was obviously yeah. that could be worked into the this one. And I'm, I'm curious to see what the expansion will add. And hopefully, it's still tight because. Yeah. And with Rodrigo saying it's five to six hours, I think they've taken a lot of the stuff that grinds, like voting on political rules, and really um, made it so that it's less of a thing and also just kind of seems to be quicker. Mm-hmm. And just, I, I think I'm going to have to set up the timer for uh, political stuff, just <laughs> like ad- advanced to just kind of yeah. say, this is, we can't let these votes just keep you dragging. Two on. minutes. But the main thing I am not looking forward to with the game is just the amount of sort of, 
you need the referee the the um, the turns where you have to go one at a time one at a time one at a time who's taking this one who's taking this one okay uh, who took um, I don't know technology yeah where is it where's uh, technology uh, and somebody's like on their phone oh well, hold on hold on it's like I took technology oh sorry I, it was my turn last time ago it's like yeah, but that's the stuff that I'm talking about with, forgot to flip it or or they should just hand it in when they uh, when they do it yeah but that but what if somebody wants to take the secondary action well, once it's done, then oh, that everyone has right? to choose at that time, right? To yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's it's just one of those things. I remember the last time we I played, it was just like I felt sorry for Rodrigo because yeah. he had to. He was just going through, and it's it doesn't seem as fun when the you game have to. doesn't naturally flow that way, which is kind of a critique. But if somebody's doing a tactical action where they're doing a movement, they've already activated a zone. It's not going to create a combat. Might as well just leave them to it and yeah. start the next person's turn. Yeah, as long as it doesn't turn into one of those things where it's like, no, I want to see what you're doing because it might affect me in some yeah. way. And then that makes you nervous because it's like, why is what I'm doing affecting you in some way? But it's funny with this new commodities trade goods thing. I almost want to rush to an opponent just, just with, a, set sing- the trading with a single lanes. ship or something. Yeah. And then we can constantly just be giving each other commodities well, for trade goods because it does you no good to yeah, have these commodities. They're useless. And it's, yeah. so that's something they've added in this one is that you always had the trade goods, but now you have commodities, which is something that let's imagine like Joel's planet of uh, Jolington produces this wonderful element called Joel Seppi. Yeah. And but I have so much I don't even need. Yeah. It. The Joltons don't want it. It's just normal. It's like they go out in their yard and like, look at all this damn Jolton growing in the... <laughs> it's the Jolton again. Get the roots. <laughs> Meanwhile, over in Jacktown, it's like, oh man, Giuseppe, that stuff's good. <laughs> Give me some of that. Everybody wants Giuseppe. Everyone wants it. <laughs> so, it's, uh, and so it's useless to you, but your opponents want it, and it turns into a, a trade good as soon as you send it to them. So you want to set up a, a positive trading relationship with people, and I think that's what the game sort of has always been lacking, in my opinion, because it's more of a, it's really hard on the aggression side of stuff, where everyone just always seems like they're pointing a gun at all times. Even if you're like being friendly about it, you still got a gun pointed at their face. The more diplomatic <laughs> side of things. Stand-off. Yeah, it's a constant standoff. More diplomatic side of stuff is... Uh, which I think this trade relationship Which is kind funny because it used to be that you would always just uh, start... I mean, if you were smart, like if you were the uh, the space lions or whatever and you benefit from trade, you'd trade with your border people so that they would... But usually you just throw your trade across the board. Yeah, you don't want to puff up Somebody far away from you that you're not going to start a war with because then you can just benefit from that trade all day. But now you have to be next to them. Yeah, so it's an encouraging... To, so if you're those guys, you maybe want to have a wormhole or maybe you want to be... Yeah. Researching the fast ships as quickly as possible. That's interesting. You can you can still trade even if you're at war. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we still want that Jolson. Yeah. Jolton. Okay, we're going to take a musical break. We'll be back in a second. Stay tuned. The stars look good tonight Thought electric Alice In the pale moonlight Don't the moon look big and bright Thought electric Alice In the pale Moonlight 
For you, 93.3 FM broadcasting out of University of Guelph. What you just heard was Electric Alice by Grinderman. Uh, Nick Cave, Warren Ellis side project from, uh, I think, early 2000s. That uh, I saw them live once and I passed out in the show. Not a good experience. <laughs> kind of reminds me of like these sort of uh, neo-post-matrix action <laughs> movies, like, you know, with uh, <laughs> Kate Beckinsale, like... Uh, <laughs> The, what was it? The Slow motion guns firing. And Underworld. Underworld. I always found those movies super cringy. I never saw a single one. But there What's was the one with the Umbrella Corporation? Resident Evil. Resident Evil. I have a soft spot for Resident Evil because it, I think the first one... It's a fun series. It's it, Yeah, they're just dumb movies that I, I don't think they take themselves too seriously. Exactly. Which is they kind don't of fun. They take themselves seriously. Uh, and they've got some decent action sequences. But I found Underworld always to be taking itself way too seriously and it just kind of bugged me. <laughs> I picture like somebody like getting up out of like a pool or something and there's water dripping on them and oh, they're yeah. raising their guns yeah and they've water got guns dripping off the guns and <laughs> fire like lighting out. yeah i can already see like the kind of the so dark creature falling in this darkness yeah and it, it's kind of like uh, ripping off the i want to say ripping off but it's almost this guillermo del toro aesthetic to it this kind of neo-gothic or this yeah uh, but like blade victorian blade, blade man <laughs> even when even when Black Panther came out, there was like a Blade resurgence of sorts, but yeah, it yeah. still didn't wasn't enough. Oh yeah, we were the first black superhero. Uh, like uh, Wesley Snipes just me. weeping in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> but even though Blade, like I don't know Do if you blush. Is that what he said? No, it's, it's what the vampires say to Blade because it's like a double joke because he's a vampire and he's black. Like, can you blush? Was that no? <laughs> <laughs> They're being racist towards vampires. <laughs> but also just inadvertently towards Wesley Snipes. Yeah, it was, <laughs> if only the real threat to Wesley Snipes turned out to be the IRS. Because <laughs> he's uh, only half vampire, right? Yeah. So maybe he can blush. I, I remember when they added the Blade character in the uh, Spider-Man TV series that was popular in the 90s. And because uh, he was, they couldn't, they didn't, they had vampires, but they weren't allowed to drink blood because that was scary. So they they drank plasma. Yeah. Plasma. <laughs> we all know what they're plasma. drinking. <laughs> Call whatever you like. scary. Uh, so anyway, Joel, you have been chasing a Grail game yourself that you got to play where? Uh, Saskatoon. Saskatoon. Tell, tell us a little bit about it. Well, when I was traveling there, there was a group meetup that I managed to go to two of, I think we've talked about fairly um, extensively, but they, one of the guys brought up, oh, do you want to play Glory to Rome? And the guy said, oh yeah, I like that game. And they bring it out and it's a couple cards and... They, 
open it up and I'm like, oh, it looks a little bit like Secret Hitler or something. It's like, looks like a really light, simple game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then this is always a bad sign, Jack, but when the guy says, ah, how do I how do I explain this game? <laughs> you know, he just sits there and ponders like, oh, this is really tough to Where explain. Where do I start? <laughs> he doesn't know how to explain the game. How many times have you played it, do you think? A lot. I think that's it's a religious game for them. They frequently... And and he's still struggling to explain to a newbie. How, how... Yeah, I think maybe they only play in their group or something. But mm. Yeah, Glory to Rome is heavy. And it, the weird thing about it is it's just a card game. It's just a, basically a pile of cards mm-hmm. um, and uh, personal little cardboard uh, player boards. But they're not fancy. They're not thick. They're as thick as a, as a piece of... Uh, paper basically a little bit stronger and what do you think that retails for jack oh it can't be very much paper is dirt cheap i mean with all the the printing and whatnot i'm gonna say 10 15 dollars wrong <laughs> you get the thing <laughs> hold on because <laughs> um, i guess what happened was there was an old kind of cartoon <laughs> an old kind of fun cartoony version uh which they had back in the day and then they kickstarted this black box edition. What was special about the black box edition? What made it um... same game? I think uh, slight tweaks to the rules, few fixes, and I guess it was a successful kickstarting campaign. Everybody got their copy. Uh, <laughs> it's a pure <laughs> victory, including the guy that we were playing with. Um, Sorry, what year was this? The Kickstarter. I'm gonna say. Uh, 2012. Okay, so I don't feel bad about missing this one. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, predates you know some of the most important. No, um, so yeah, so there's not really any topics about it post 2012 because nobody's really been asking about it since mm-hmm. then. But the first edition was 2008, and then 2012 they published this black box edition, and the guy. Um, I don't know. <laughs> we keep talking about Kickstarters and financial management, but it seems to be a major theme. This guy just drops off the face of the earth and goes bankrupt. Must so, it must have been something behind the scenes. There's because if you have a successful Kickstarter, you've already considered pre-orders, and unless you manage to sell it for the wrong price or you've overextended yourself in some way to to go bankrupt or at least like go out of business on something that everyone likes and was happy with is a tremendous feat i think yeah and and yeah it's like how come nobody else picked it up well it's some kind of it's in some kind of copyright limbo jack is basically what they were saying where uh for some reason it's uh you know, international laws or something like this. They nobody can reproduce it, and they, they they did their best to explain to me how a simple card game like this couldn't be just reprinted. And they were adamant that there was no print, you know, uh, PDF or anything. Just scan out there. your copies. What do you? I do? figure like anybody doing a Kickstarter should, as the basis, like the five dollar support, just do a PDF, right? A print yeah, the print play. and play. I I know that um, Secret Hitler did that. Yeah, right. And this looks a lot like Secret Hitler, but it's a very complicated sort of resource management type game. Um, I'll get into it in a second because it's kind of a hand management game. It's really cool the way it it plays out. But um, I just wanted to mention that the game retails, if you want to buy a black box version, for around $250 to $350. 
And so the guy uh, with the old cartoony version, he also supported a black box copy and just sold it off, like you were saying, for massive profits. Made good cash, but... And yeah, unbelievable. Like minimum, you're gonna get it for 150 bucks, it, if you're lucky. You know what? It's sad that I'm starting to think that 150 doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> but it just kills me because you know the, the the day that one of us actually bites the bullet on something like that is the day that they announce a reprint. <laughs> like this is the game. Like does this look like an expensive game to you? Well, uh, the viewers cannot, viewers, listeners cannot uh, see this, but it looks it looks pretty, but it looks like it's the size of maybe. Um, a miniature tablet at best, and it's just paper. It's got slightly more content than Avalon, which retails for about fifteen to twenty bucks. Yeah, right? like there are a lot. Of, it looks like there's a lot of cards in it. They're sleeved nicely, as you would with a Grail <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah, if you're paying that much for it. Anyway, Glory to Rome is a fantastic game, and there's a you know there's a reason why people would be willing to pay 150 for it, and I think they're probably collectors as well, you know, because they want that status of having a grail game like what are what are some other grail games out there and what do we mean by grail game we should probably explain um the grail game is one of those those games that are very difficult to get typically out of print or so exorbitantly expensive that it becomes this like white whale of sorts tracking it down it's a holy grail and i i would put uh, at least until i grab mega sieve that even like I still don't have well, Mega Civ is still just a tribute. Yeah, it's a tribute. It's not the actual game. An advanced Civ is something that yeah, you could call it a Grail game. I think I only have one. I, I haven't had a chance really to get into Glory of Rome, so I can't put it up there on my Grail game list. But for you, obviously, it is. But there's a game that, and I haven't played this either. But I heard it. Was, all you have to say is um, better than advanced Civ, in my opinion, <gasps> and to get me kind of intrigued. And it's this game by this Argentinian. Um, developer called Imperios Milaneros and um, everything I've read about it and looked at just sounds it, it sounds great it sounds incredible but the guy obviously there was an el- a limited print run didn't do super well mm. and now he's trying to I think he's slowly trying to turn it into something where there's this weird I think they call it a pod format so it's like you kind of put together all these pieces and you kind of sell the components not necessarily as a normal like full on box type experience it just sounds bizarre to me but just do a kickstarter man just do it sometimes kickstarters are good okay we're not fully against kickstarter no no not not at all we've contributed but what about you are there any other uh, grail games on your list it's hard for a board game to be grail, right? Because other people can just, like we say, you can't copyright functions. So yeah. other people can just pick it up and uh, produce a different version. Yeah. Uh, there are some games out there that I would like to have that are just too expensive and because you have it or something. I mean, uh, the fact that I don't have Scythe is kind of weird, but that's not a, a but crazy. But everyone you know, literally everyone you know. Once I move or something, maybe yeah. I'll pick it up. and uh, should be able to find used you copies know, Obviously, Advanced Civ is one of them, and I think uh, Twilight Imperium, too. But it's, it's it's these games that you play some of them frequently that it seems hard to justify the cost. You know? That's it. And, like, I want to try to – we this has sort of come up because we're going to – I want to transition slightly into um, a quick little chat about D&D. But as you get into the spring-summer season, it's so tough to, I think – commit to these like these big epic games because you're you're inside you could do it outside i wouldn't want you to be outside with maybe mega <laughs> elements or <laughs> the elements ah! and god knows what else twilight imperium yeah whatever i don't think anything i'm not super yeah. upset about that but it's it's more just commitment so you say like it's it's beautiful outside and even though i enjoy being inside yeah. just as much as anyone else it's like <laughs> joel do you want to come over and sit inside my my house for 14 hours on yeah. a saturday 
Let's sink in. Well, Lucky Glory to Rome is not a very long game. How long is it? Uh, I would say it runs about 40 minutes. Oh, beautiful. It's not bad. Beautiful. And it's so portable, you could take it wherever you go. <laughs> yeah. So the thing, I, I want to, before we talk about d and I want to talk about Glory to Rome as a game. And mm-hmm. I want to give it a, a high endorsement. I would say right off the bat, before even talking about One it, play or two play? Um, one play. I would give it um, 16 Legionnaires <laughs> out of 18. That's really high rating. <laughs> That's I a mean, huge rating. Nearly flawless. I, I don't know any wow. flaws with it. I only played wow. through it once, but the the amount of talk I heard at the table about the game and yeah. all the games that they had played, yeah, yeah. probably at least 20, 30 games, where they're looking for certain cards that they know is in the deck and they say, okay, well, we've gone through this much of the deck. This card is going to come soon. And, you know, you could tell it was one of those games that just has like a dedicated following. It's, I think too, you, you may have kind of touched on it, that it's one thing to hear an endorsement from somebody that maybe this isn't meant to sound demeaning, but when you don't have as deep a pool to draw from, when you say something is really good, you kind of go, okay, well, that's a nice opinion, but you haven't played (laughs) as much or you haven't read as much or seen as many movies or whatever. When you are talking to somebody who's played a million games yeah. and you, they you say it's good. They have like just about every 18x game, X, X game yeah. they've played it. And they like that's are an running a <laughs> convention. They're running ToonCon really? in Saskatoon. And, uh, you know, these guys are heavy gamers. And they love to love Glory to Rome. Then that's like a gigantic endorsement. So a quick, quick summary of Glory to Rome uh, while we have time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you basically uh, you have a player board, and there's four sides to the board, and each of the sides has a significance. So the top of the board, you can build buildings. So you set buildings aside as under construction, and then you pay X of that color card out of your hand to build that building. Um, your hand is limited to five, and on your turn, you can either play one of the cards, which is four or five colors, and each of the colors does a different thing. For example... Uh, one of them allows you to do that building. So if you play a yellow card, I think it's like Builder or something like that, then you can contribute more of your cards to build the building. And then once it comes into play, not only is it victory points for you, but it allows you to do more things. You basically get like little symbols on the top left. which um, And also a built building has game text on it, which is a benefit to you. So there's like three elements to it. Um, and then basically, so the, the game is uh, hand management because you've got five cards and you can spend those cards and you can spend them either on your turn by doing the action or you can piggyback. And I know you like games where you can piggyback off of other people's actions. Well, it, keeps you, I think. it keeps you engaged in the, uh, what the process. Is uh, Puerto that, Rico. That which one? The which one? Uh, broom oh, Broom Service. Yeah, yeah. Where you can jump on. Uh, yeah, Puerto Rico is a perfect example of something Twilight where Imperium. it's like, oh, you did a thing, well, I'm going to do a thing too. Yeah. Uh, the thing about uh, Glory to Rome is in order to piggyback, you need to also have the card, the color card that they played. So the exact same or just have the color? Well, they're, they're all more or less, no, the game text is different on each of them. But yeah, just the color. So like there's uh, Legionnaire as an action, um, which is a combat one, which is basically steal a card from somebody. You have Ooh. to name the card. And then if they have it... So you're going, go yeah. fish. Yeah, exactly. It's go f- Which is funny because the game looks a bit like go fish. <laughs> it could be a really simple game to go fish, but not quite. So the cartoon one is really cartoony, eh? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, there's 
couple other things I don't have much time to talk about, but you can basically put things into your warehouse and you can get patrons, which is really cool, which is patrons on the left side of your board. All of a sudden now, every time, so <clears throat> let's say, for example, you put Builder into your patrons. Now, every time Builder is played, instead of having to play a card from your hand, you say, this is like, it's like Splendor style. It's just always there. Oh, interesting. Which so sounds, permanent upgrade. Of yeah, a permanent upgrade. It's fantastic, except that you're limited to only two. So you have to pick wisely. But then each time you build a building, you get X amount more patrons available. Hmm. And the people that were really experienced were right on top of that. They got right up to their max amount of patrons. And then they got a special card, which was like, you can have double patrons. And then they were like, oh, I have 12 patrons. Every card you play, I can do three of those things. Oh, my God. Right. Because like, you can play multiple cards to do the action multiple times. Mm-hmm. But the really cool thing is that, like, you want to have a lot of cards. Because you want to be able to piggyback on people. Mm -hmm. But you also want to lose a lot of cards because of your other option on your turn, which is on your turn, you can either play X cards or you can think. And when you think, you draw up to your hand limit. So if if you only played one card and you think you only get to draw one, if you've managed to spend all the way down to one or zero cards... You're drawing way more. It's much more valuable. So is there? does everyone have their own deck? Or is it one... You- it's a communal deck. And basically uh. the game ends when the deck runs out. Uh. So the deck is always being pulled from. And if, once the deck is gone, game's over. And what are the victory points on each card you played? So the victory points are based off of the buildings that you've built. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things that you've tucked into your warehouse. Which is just basically like, oh, put a card face down and it'll be X points. Based off of how expensive it is. Okay. Um, and then the third thing is um, special, like certain cards give you. And the multipliers or like the purple cards. And yeah, so maybe uh, you get an extra amount of victory points for each green building you've built or something. Classic stuff. Like yeah, that. yeah. But there's two cards in the game that are actually end game conditions, win conditions. Kind of like the Cal Rainer in DC. <laughs> I never saw them. There's a forum and something else, but they're pretty difficult, I think, to do, uh-huh. which they'd have to be. So you if just you win straight away if you, win, you yeah. manage to do this. Okay. You have to build that building. It's going to be expensive to build. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like, for example, I think the forum, you need to have one of each color in your patrons or something like that. No. Oh. So complicated game, hard to explain, especially for... You did a pretty good job. <laughs> just somebody <laughs> yeah. just played it once. So. Uh, but I would highly recommend it. I can't wait to teach it to you. Well, I look forward to playing it. I can't... If anyone knows a good... Uh, good way to print this stuff and uh, aside from just going to staples yeah, and super <laughs> staples uh so just we're we don't have much time left but i want to touch on it because we get, did an unusual friday D um campaign campaign day adventure uh because <laughs> quest quest yeah. because as we mentioned before we're getting in the summer and it's difficult and people couldn't make it for the typical sunday ones so uh, instead we did one on friday and unfortunately, I don't think you. I wouldn't say you were having a great time. I feel well, like you were I sick and the weather, tired, but... and it looked like you were a little bored too. But yeah, things things happened very uh, in chunks. Yeah. You notice that we had three enemies, then we had two enemies, then yeah. we had three enemies, then we had five small enemies. Goblins too, uh, goblins and ogres. Everything, everything was broken up into little pieces, and it was yeah, it was a little too easy. I think it was a bit easy. I think the ogres were intended to give more of a challenge, but I think. Um, we we just smoked them. Yeah, I think only one of the ogres got a hit off. Yeah, and I think the entire time I only took about four damage or five damage or something. I got pretty close to dying against the first ogre, which was, you know, 
remarkable seeing as he only got one hit against me, but he ended up doing like hits like a truck, right? Damage. And when your AC is what is it, eighteen or seventeen? Seventeen now because I've Seven, yeah, you dropped it down, which was one of these things points. where it's, it's like, oh, you wanted to get these cool actions back, but I, I guarantee if we had rested outside, something terrible would have happened <laughs> just in general. Yeah. Which I mean, that's another thing is I I I got all this new stuff and I wanted to just see how it worked and then we we spent so much early on that yeah. all of a sudden the challenge was a lot lower. Well, it's one of those risks where you're you're looking at it and you go, is, is this a time to use this ability? Is it worth it using it in this case? Or am I see is there something nastier down the road perhaps? But um, yeah. in general, I, th- I thought it was, and I think even even Mark, our DM, was kind of feeling like this one was kind of a little rote or a little pre-programmed, kind of a tutorial mission, extended one, mm, and yeah. he was saying that next time, uh, spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't know the game we're playing, but we, we hopped in a magic floating castle and we're in we're into Waterdeep, one of Joel's Woo-hoo! favorite places in the I'm world. I'm very excited for that. So, and I think, what's the main reason you're excited? You want to go shopping, right? Well, I've... <laughs> I shouldn't tell this to one of the players, but when, we, when I uh, decided to shake down the castle for money to go help the villagers um no one else was really into it and when they finally came with a big bag of stuff they just handed it to me <laughs> and i quietly pocketed that so i have about 600 gold and you're loaded just like can't wait to get a better weapon my weapon right now just does what it does well which is fine i guess magic and weapons are pretty rare but yeah which is a weapon with a plus one would be yeah i'll take that what is that plus one to hit it's plus one damage, I think. Oh. Yeah. It's okay, I guess. Yeah. So that was our D&D thing, and we're looking forward to next time. I think we're going to have some, a lot of meat to chew on for that stuff, yeah. hopefully. i got to say that the story has been a lot more interesting than the combat. Yeah, it's it's, it's developing. There was a bit of a lore dump around the end, sort of, after the fact. <laughs> yeah. But we're I think things are heating up. We there. learned a lot. Yeah, The dragons ruled the world. It's kind of the dark souls. The, the humans <laughs> killed the giants. <laughs> anyway, I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Braden. Lana, Ira, Sveta, Tanya, Chantal, and Asana, Joel, Emma, Dima, Amara, and we're Panda World Youth. And you're listening to 93.3 FM CFRU. Want to take an active role in keeping the University of Guelph safe? Volunteer with Crime Stoppers Guelph Wellington. You'll be joining a dedicated group of community volunteers who want to reduce and resolve crime in this area. Apply to be a board member, offer to help the one-day fundraiser, or help us establish a Crime Stoppers program here on campus by calling 1-800-222-TIPS or go to csgw.tips and click Contact Us to learn how. Yeah, well I don't know this is Tasha T and you don't know anytime I'm in Guelph I always tune into Nikki Dread and the crooked beat. Oh you mean man on CFRU 93.3 FM every Thursday from 7 to 9 p.m. You don't know we're gonna rectify the problem. Let's live and learn to solve them. We're gonna make it work together for the children. 
years of reggae revolution.